going to tell a little story about an interesting time in my life. Um, basically, as we were coming to the end of music school, uh, my, my biggest goal had been to learn more about writing, become a better songwriter and a musician all around, obviously. Uh, but I wanted to be in bands. I wanted to be writing music and performing and, and doing all of that. And I was very lucky to have a lot of work in that area over that time. I had a bunch of different bands I was in. Uh, you know, I had a really good opportunity to play with some really awesome ensembles in school, one of which obviously the Beatles ensemble, which was an incredible learning experience. Um, and I had a couple bands going that I was writing for and performing and, and we made ourselves into a bit of a big deal, at least, you know, like in, in Hamilton, we were up and coming and, and in the music hallway, you know, we were always trying to brand and market ourselves as the place to be the party, you know? And, and so bands were always coming up to me and, and asking like, can I get on the next show? Can we do this? Can we do this? We want to work together. And it was a really good, um, community kind of rallying thing where we'd have these amazing events off-site out of the music hall and just showcase what it was we were doing behind closed doors that wasn't necessarily jazz related uh so we had like a really crazy psychedelic funky fusion band and i had a really hard rocking band and one of the bands that happened to be coming up in the hallways was the alto belays at the time and so i saw them me and my old drummer bartek saw them through one of the practice room doors and we kicked the door in and said you guys are playing our next show at halloween <laughs> and that was kind of the start of of a crazy era of working together and partying together and and even writing together uh so by the end of high school you know playing all these shows with the belays was just mental they they had so much energy and so much talent and they were writing a lot of the music that i wanted to kind of absorb into my own writing and and vice versa i wanted to take what i was doing and put it into that band and everybody probably has those moments where you you've been working on your stuff and you see a band and you're just like oh if i could get in on some of that action <laughs> that would be so great so you know it was years of of kind of in the back of my mind just hoping i would get a shot and so by the end of music school uh both my bands i was in just completely kind of imploded things stopped happening and people left or or were moving across the country and and things just kind of fell apart in that area and school ended so i went from having a lot of direction and always things to do and music 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 and then that was gone so i felt very directionless <laughs> to say the least um but then i i started working more with the belays and and opening shows and being the hype guy and we started writing songs together and you know we we were working together and moving forward and I could see that this was like a good, a good thing for me to get a part of this. Um, so at one point they were in the studio ready to record their first album, which was really exciting. And I was brought in to record 
um, our track with them. Hold on, I'm going to close my window. <sighs> Consummate professionalism. <laughs> the wind switched and started raining into my window, so I think that took care of it. Anyway, so I was brought in to record one of the tracks that we've been performing for a while. It was it was fire. Every time we played it, it was just the energy was huge and it just had it had balls, you know, it was it was a big one. So I was really happy to be a part of the recording sessions and you know, it was it was really fun. Um, but unfortunately, the sessions kind of fell apart. Um, the mix was not at all what any of us wanted. It just sounded really flat and it left a lot to be desired, which doesn't necessarily say anything bad about the person who did it. It just wasn't what the, the music needed. It wasn't what we were looking for. So, you know, we, we had a bit of a back and forth and they didn't fix it. And the money was now gone from the recording and mixing. And they gave us the master recording files and the session files were screwed beyond repair. So thousands of dollars and all that man hours and everything just gone. So what do you do? <laughs> I mean, this was a point that the band had been working towards pretty much since they started. They had a band fund, they were putting the money into it, and it was all about getting that album, getting that package of songs that represented what they were about, and finally having a product to put on the table at the show, and people can take it home with them, show their friends, and the music spreads, right? That's like the goal. You want something that people can take home with them and we lost it we lost the money and everyone was really disheartened uh people were talking about leaving um you know their their other singer at the time tiff she was an incredible talent well is is an incredible talent she was great in that band uh but there was more work happening with the other band and time got really tough to split and so she was on her way out and attentions were just elsewhere. The band seemed like it was kind of ready to fall apart. And people were really, just the mood was not that great. So, you know, I was kind of upset because I had just got my way kind of into the band and things were falling apart. And so, we needed like a last ditch effort. We needed to find a way to reignite the passion in ourselves, in our music, in our audience. And this was like the goal, you know? How do we do this? How do we figure this out? This became like my mission. And it was always like trying to talk to the guys and figure out what they want to do next and what we could do. And, and if we were still ready to take another shot at this. So, the odds of bouncing back obviously seemed just impossible. <laughs> All that money was gone. And now we had all these new songs to write because we couldn't perform the old music because the person who wrote it was gone. And 
we needed to get out and keep playing shows. Because if we didn't get out and play shows, we lose momentum with the fan base. We disappear and we're not relevant anymore. And if we don't do that, we can't make any more, any more money to get back into the studio and record our music. So it was just all these goals piling up and it seemed really crazy. So a lot of band meetings had to happen. A lot of discussing over pints <laughs> in various locales, trying to figure out, okay, what do we need? So we needed to find a way to create a bunch of music that spoke to an audience. We needed to turn these this audience into like complete psychopath raving fans. And we need them fast. And if we couldn't figure out how to do this, we might have to give up. But if we can turn, you know, that that last second miracle, the Hail Mary play, if we can turn this around, then we can really do something with this and we can make an impact. So a lot of discussing, we came up with three things that we really needed to figure out how to do. We needed a way to not just get to an audience, but impact them. We needed to find out what is, what is the trigger? What is it about hearing certain music that just like blows your brain up? What is the difference between when, you know, your high school friend is like, oh, check out these new recordings that I did and they're just, it's noise and you kind of roll your eyes at it. What's the difference between that and, you know, when you go to the party and you're like, okay, here's some sessions from today's recordings and people are actually excited to hear it. They want to know. They need that music in their life. So that was one thing we needed to figure out. The second thing we needed to figure out was how to increase not just the quantity of our creative output, but the quality at the same time without needing anything more than we already had. Granted, we had a lot. There was a lot of talent and a lot of collective years spent writing and performing and everything but if we couldn't really get down to the basics the fundamentals about how to make our process efficient so it made our music effective at the same time then we would we would be lost and none of that would matter so that was the second thing the third thing we needed to do was how do we get around you know writer's block or the blank page or waiting around for inspiration or relying on just ripping off other songs and just loosely kind of piggybacking on something we know already works how do we avoid that but still maintain pushing out music and good music at that so 
after a lot of, you know, soul searching, we came up with a lot of goals. And these were like the three main things that kind of had to break down into a bunch of little things. And we needed to figure them out. And if we could do this, we would save the band. <laughs> so some of the biggest struggles that we had, I, I mean, the biggest one, obviously, is that we didn't learn this in music school. Those were the really the three fundamental secrets of how to be a musician and songwriter. Like if you know those three things and you can plow through anything, all challenges after that will be nothing. You can deal with them because you've got these three things covered. It's like your food, shelter, and water. You have those three things covered, you're good. That's like the top uh, the hierarchy of needs, right? So why didn't we learn this stuff in music school? It was a practical music program, which meant that not just learning about theory and writing papers about old dead guys and doing complex like harmony exams and stuff, we were supposed to be learning about playing the instrument. It was about taking all of that, applying it, writing music with it, arranging bands with it getting up and playing and showing that you understand the material in a practical sense. And yet, and yet, there wasn't any kind of real grasp on these like fundamental things that we needed to do in, in, in the real practical world. And if we couldn't figure them out, we were fucked. We had years of advanced music training, thousands of dollars in tuition and we had no clue so we had to figure it out and there was months of trying to pare down well why why does this song work when we play this song why does it work what are the parts that we see hitting the people the most what is it about when we sit down and write? How can we get better at writing? What are these things that work? You know, figuring out all the different parts of a song and classifying them and being like, okay, we have got this, 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 and this. Okay, we've got a song and it's finished. And now we can go on to the next thing. Or even just being able to hear certain parts of it and it's like, well, that... That's definitely a chorus. Or we're listening to a song, we've got everything, and it's like, there's still something missing. There, there's no hook, or it's too much the same. And being able to really analyze the songs in a way that was beyond just being like, we wrote a song, and it's good. We couldn't settle for good. We had to write the best fucking music we had ever written, and we needed it yesterday. So what did we have for all of our, our hard labor that we put in? I mean, this was probably months, if not a year, of working really hard and, and grinding at these shows. And the shows were getting bigger than ever. You know, we got residents at the Baltimore House. We were playing there like once a month, which was a really popular venue in Hamilton at the time. And... 
people would be lined up out the door. <laughs> it would be raining sweat from the ceiling. Like, disgusting. But there was something that we had tapped into that turned the Alto Biles shows from, like, yeah, this is a great show, to I have to be there or I'm going to miss this. And you could see the people in the crowd that it was their first show. I've seen so much footage from people shooting on stage and stuff, and they would stand there with their mouths open, just like... <laughs> they looked like they got hit by lightning. But that's what we wanted to do, and we figured that out. What do we want people to feel? How do we want to affect people? Who do we want at our show? Like, we've, we've had shows and we've played parties and stuff where people came in and they were disinterested and their energy sucks. And then they leave and things are better. We don't want those people there. And you shouldn't want to just cast a net and get absolutely everybody in the door. Because fine, you make a couple bucks, but that space could have been taken up by somebody who would fall in love with your music. But they miss out because you didn't realize that the person that got in, it wasn't for them. It was for somebody else. So by tapping into that, the band became a, a lightning rod. The band became a magnet for crazy energy and positive energy. And all of the music reflected that. And the songwriting process was all about finding that and coming out from that and finding, you know, ways to refine the music and make sure that it had these elements in it to be able to grab people. Didn't matter what style the song was going to end up being in. We always had the compass point of who, do, who is this for? On behalf of what? So what happened? I mean, we brought the band back from the dead. We were having sellout shows. We got the residents at like the hottest venue in town that was just perfect. The vibe, the environment, everything was awesome for us to cultivate not just a following, but a culture around the music, around the vibe. We very quickly made all that money back and then some to be able to do an incredible studio experience that we, we traveled uh, out to Escarpment Sound just outside of a weird wing thing happening in my hair. There, it's just outside of Guelph and it's an old converted barn. And one side is the studio area with nice high ceilings and, and isolation booths and everything. And the other side was like basically a cottage. There was a common area and a kitchen and a bunch of bunk beds. And we slept there for like four days. That contributed to the vibe of the recording and the album. And when we put this record together, it was amazing. The songs were inspired. The music was honest. We had these compass points to go for. 
We put together a crowdfunding campaign and pre-sold the album for almost 6500 bucks. I think the final total was close to 6400 in one month on pre-sales of an album that hadn't come out yet. So you want to tell me what it was about that? It was because the people were invested. If you think you can just throw up a crowdfunding campaign with your music, you've got another thing coming. We had the the crowd. We had the following turn into a culture. It was this music that was something so much more, and people felt personally invested with it. So they were willing to help they got they got all this money out and said here put this album out because people need to hear it so we released it and uh, i don't know if you're familiar with alan cross but he was like a hero of mine uh continuing history of new music he's a radio personality and he had an ongoing blog this week in music it's like a top 11 playlist we got the number two spot that week we were beat out by you too <laughs> i am consistently reminded of that that was like an, an ongoing joke with my buddies back home in sarnia they would rag on me and be like oh hey how's you too just make little cracks at it and the music video for our song that we put out, we got a, we got the music video shared the, with a shout out from Nights with Alice Cooper. So like another musical hero talking about how this is a really cool song and here's these guys and here, their video is a nice little love letter to Hamilton, which is a crazy town. And all of this shit happened not just because we were like, we need to make some songs. We needed to figure out how to make music that spoke to an audience. We needed to increase the quality and the quantity of the music that was being put out. And we needed to figure out how to get the music happening without copying other shit or just waiting around to be inspired. And that's a heavy thing. I don't even think that we fully realized that we were going after these things. We were saying it in a lot of different ways. And they were, po they were questions that were poised in a lot of different ways. We had a lot of different notes scribbled in all the different band meetings about what we need to do and how we can accomplish it. But really at the heart of it, coming out of the other side of that experience and starting M-File to, to help people who want to put their music out there and make an impact. These were the things that I really had to look at that experience and boil down to, this is what we did. If you can figure this out, you can do it. 
Now, interestingly enough, this, these concepts, this foundation is the exact process that we will take you through in our new course we are launching this Thursday. The crowd's going wild. It's so mental. I'm going to see if I can pull up an image really quick. I forgot to load this up beforehand. I, I didn't realize that I got cool new logos. But this makes me so happy to see this. Oh, if I can't find this, I'm really pissed. Whatever, I'll put it I'll pull it up at another time in the episode. The point is we are launching the infinite musician mentality spectrum program this Thursday. Now the infinite musician mentality is exactly this. How do we rebuild our perception of music? How can we rethink the way that we approach ourselves as musicians? How can we rethink our approach to an audience with our music? And how can we rethink our approach to making music and writing it? Because it's so much easier to figure things out when you've actually figured things out. If you're starting with, okay, I gotta write a hit song. There's so much more that you need to get to before you even start that. Also, just saying we need a hit song. That is like, you're putting the cart before the horse and then you're lighting the whole thing on fire. Because you're never going to get the result that you want because you aren't even asking yourselves the right questions. So we're going to talk a little bit more about infinite musician mentality spectrum, which I'm so excited about. I've been working on this stuff for a long time. We're going to have super, super awesome, crazy offer for you. But that's its not going to turn into a commercial. Don't worry. But we are going to be taking registrants for our workshop, which talks a bit more about these three fundamentals. Building a fan base of people that are impacted by your music, getting writing without having to rip things off or waiting around for inspiration and increasing the quality and quantity of your output without needing more than what you already have. It's all mindset, people. If you want to learn more about any of the topics discussed on today's episode, or if you'd like to expand your horizons so you can make the most amount of impact with your music, please be sure to check us out at mfile.ca.